Good afternoon. <laughs> Sorry. Good afternoon, everyone. Sorry, we had a bit of a funny thing happen today. And Faith FM Drive Time, welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion, and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy I'm Marty, pastor to the Grace Adventist Centre in Stirling, St. Davidus Churches, right here in Adelaide, and I'm joined by Pastor Gary. Pastor Gary, what a good start, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you need yours up one. a bit. Uh, sorry, that's that's it. Uh, that's a little bit. Sorry, Marty, <laughs> I couldn't hear a solitary thing. <laughs> and uh, Were we on air when I made that request before? Yes, I think so. I think 138 stations got to hear that. Uh, so that's the, the penalty. That's the penalty that you pay when you're uh, uh, when you're not fully prepared before you actually go on air. Ah, look, look, look. We uh, we I think we're doing pretty well. It's good to be here. We've had a beautiful day today here in Adelaide. Good to see the sunshine. Want to welcome our listeners. Hope uh, hope we hope you're able to have a bit of a laugh and a chuckle at us today. It's always good to be able to have a bit of a chuckle. Laughter is uh, is like a, a merry heart doeth good like medicine. The Bible says. Hey, I want to take this opportunity to to do another quick promo. We've um, we've got a series coming up just next Friday. It's called I Discover Revelations Prophecies. Mm. And we're going to be launching into that next Friday, 7 o'clock at the University of South Australia, the West Campus. And um, if you drive up, uh, I suppose, near Hinley Street and... Um yeah, near the, near the university, you'll see an A-frame, you'll, you'll see signs, you'll see someone out there welcoming. So, uh, why don't you come and join us next Friday at the I Discover Revelations Prophecy. So what are you going to be talking about, uh, Marty? Opening night, it's called, can, is there anything you can trust? Is there anything you can trust? We want to a- answer that question. What is trustworthy? What's reliable? What can we actually depend upon as a reliable source of information? Yeah. And so we want to look at that. We want to then move into some remarkable prophecies on the Saturday afternoon, the next day. Uh, in fact, even in the first session, we're going to be looking at prophecy. Mm-hmm. We're going to be looking at some prophecies that deal with ancient Egypt and ancient Tyre and Petra, uh, the forgotten city. And so it's going to be a journey in back in time. And I suppose by going back in time, we also... Um, and we see when you see how remarkable, how remarkably Bible prophecy has been fulfilled. Yeah. It just gives you so much confidence. Oh, it does. You know, you know, Marty. I've actually had the privilege to actually go to Petra and to uh, walk down the uh, uh, that amazing uh, alleyway that leads into uh, uh, into that uh, red, incredibly red, red city. Uh, that uh, that really says something to me. You know, there's so much what that is. In Bible prophecy can be shown in history, yeah. And uh, I, I love. I mean, since I've certainly been there, uh, I love the the stories that come out uh, of the history of that place uh, far more than I, I ever did before. It's mm. a powerful. Mm. In, in fact, if any of our listeners have ever got opportunity to travel to that part of the world, I'd encourage them to 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 go take that opportunity and become involved. Absolutely. I haven't been to Petra, but I have been to Egypt, and that was a fascinating country it is, it is. with remarkable history, remarkable 
uh, the ruins and the stories that um, that are there, uh, in in a sense, the stories that come out of the dust mm. um, is just truly amazing. And I know that anyone who's who's interested will be blessed. They'll be um, it'll be insightful and it'll be encouraging. These mm. messages uh, today, as we begin our World Watch segment, we're actually going to be looking at. An article which has been uh, released by the, um, it's it's by the Doomsday Clock actually. The Doomsday Clock was established in 1947. Albert Einstein and a group of scientists actually put together what is this? Um, I suppose this uh, this symbolic clock where. Midnight actually represents the end of the world or mm. doomsday. And um, the furthest it's ever been from midnight in the history of the clock was in 1991, I believe. It was mm. 17 minutes from midnight after the Cold War came to an end. But actually at the beginning of 2023, um, here's, here's the press release that was uh, given in January 2023 from the Doomsday Clock. So this is a group of scientists, a group of an, 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 people who analyze, I, I suppose, world events. They look at current trends in, 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 in politics, in, um, in warfare, in um, the economy, you know, uh, natural disasters. They take all of those things into account. And then they set the clock. And here's what they actually entitled this this release at the beginning of 2023. A time of unprecedented danger. It is 90 seconds to midnight. Mm-hmm. So it begins by saying this year the Science and Security Board of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists moved the hands of the doomsday clock forward, largely not exclusively because of the mounting dangers of the war in Ukraine. The clock now stands at 90 seconds to midnight, the closest to global catastrophe it has ever been. Mm. Let me just read you a, a little short insight from this article. The war in Ukraine may enter a second horrifying year, with both sides convinced they can win. Ukraine's sovereignty and broader European security arrangements that have largely held since the end of World War II are at stake. Also, Russia's war in Ukraine has raised profound questions about how states interact, eroding norms of international conduct that underpin successful responses to a variety of global risks. And worst of all, Russia's thinly veiled threats to use nuclear weapons remind the world that escalation of the conflict by accident, intention or miscalculation is a terrible risk. The possibility that the conflict could spin out of anyone's control remains high. Mm. And so that's the times in which we're living. And Pastor Gary, as we watch the news, as we see what's happening in the world, it's interesting that Jesus says that um, men's heart will fail them for fear mm, as they mm. see what is coming upon this world. Mm. And I believe that it's only natural to be full of fear, worry, and anxiety when mm. we see what's happening in the world. But my question to, to you today is, what is your underst- what's an understanding of Bible prophecy done for you when it comes to actually seeing the news headlines, seeing the disasters, seeing the th- potential issues that are that are really building up in our world today, mm-hmm. how does an understanding of Bible prophecy help you, I suppose, to deal with 
all the chaos and the confusion that, that we're facing? Yeah, Marty, look, it's a really good question that you're actually asking there because, uh, you know, particularly as Christians, sometimes uh, we almost go into, into countdown mode. Uh, you know, I, I will remember uh, way back, there are two extremes that I, I really want to avoid on this issue. Uh, you know, years ago when I was way back, and in fact, I think it was uh, uh, my my very first church, I was the uh, the, par- the youth pastor of a of a large church up in uh, uh, up in South Queensland and uh, lovely, lovely church uh, up there. And uh, I was only there for, for 12 months, but uh, I I was with a with a senior pastor, and uh, he was mentoring me. He had just recently retired. I was his assistant, and uh, he was trying to keep my nose in the right uh, right direction. Now, each week we would sit down, and uh, we would uh, we would share uh, together, and uh, uh, he would uh, counsel me and bet and in, in best practice for uh, for ministry. And uh, on one particular occasion, I will remember saying to him, I I said, oh, look. Could we possibly do something about the prayer meeting? You see, each week I knew what was going to happen. In those days you had, your small group was a prayer meeting. You'd come along and every week I knew who was going to turn up. There would be uh, him and his wife. There would be the senior elder and there'd be myself, the unmarried intern. And uh, we were four of us and we'd gather together, we'd have prayer meeting, we'd pack up and we'd go home. But for a church of uh, 250, 300 people, I sort of felt that this was a little bit underrepresented. I wasn't expecting the whole church to be there, but four people seemed a little light on. Uh, I, I said to him, I said, look, is there some way that we can possibly you know, encourage prayer meeting? He looked at me and said, young man, excellent suggestion, uh, worthy objective. And uh, he, uh, he said, uh, uh, next week, uh, I'm going to, uh, we're going to put uh, 60 people at prayer meeting. And uh, I, I, I looked at him and I said, you're going to have 60 people there? And he said, uh, uh, yeah. And uh, uh, I said, how are you going to do that? All he said to me was, young man, uh, watch and behold. Um, that, uh, that, that next, uh, ne- next Sabbath, he, uh, he, he, was, he was preaching. He stood up to preach. What did he preach on? He preached on the subject of last day events. Then at the very end of his sermon, He asked some very significant questions about the era that we were living in then. And this is the mid-1980s, a long, long time ago. And uh, uh, he he said to the folks, he said, would you like to know the answer to these questions? And all the people, their tongues were hanging. He was an excellent preacher. Their tongues were hanging out of their their mouths. And uh, the answer was, of course we do. And uh, his response to them was simple. You come along on Wednesday night. We're commencing a series. Uh, It's going to be on last day events and uh, and we will uh, uh, we'll study the subject together now that was his response now on Wednesday night I turned up expecting four people how many people do you think were there look there was more I, than 60 more than 60 there were more than 60 wow. more than 60 wow. people we had and that actually continued uh, that uh, that number actually continued for his entire series uh, but once the series was finished uh, it went back it went back to about eight or nine people so we did actually improve the, uh, the long term um, uh, numbers at at prayer meeting but you know that really said something to me at that particular time because in fact i've got to admit that troubled me just a little bit and to this day 
this troubles me immensely because mm. you see uh, what we had was when we were talking about troublous times people were prepared to come out and yet when you were talking about uh, maybe the from the gospels or maybe from the epistles uh, you could only get less than uh, about 20% of the of the number what was actually mm. going wrong mm. uh, and look the, the thing that i realized was that hey you know one of the biggest dangers we can actually uh, face in ministry is when we simply sensation what scripture is saying. We don't want to negate what scripture is saying, mm. but neither do we want to sensationalize it because mm, mm. there are two errors that we can, I suggest, can actually fall into. One is the error of this sensationalistic uh, type of response. The other one is to ignore it totally. Yeah. You know, yeah. if I think about it, you know, Christ, when he was sitting uh, on the uh, on the Mount of Olives, he's talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. What you actually get there is his disciples are asking very legitimate questions. And, of course, the uh, questions concern the end times. Now, Christ doesn't um, delegitimize the question. He takes these are authentic questions, and Christ gives uh, he gives reasonable answers to those those questions. But they are based in the uh, in the context of your need to be able to prepare now yeah. for what is going to occur in the future, and yet fear was not a part of that equation that Christ was actually... He presented the, the facts, but he didn't go into overly sensationalize mm. what was actually there. Yeah, it makes me think of when Jesus says, when you see all these things happening, he gives the signs, he says, there's going to be increased wars, increased famines, pestilence, earthquakes, lawlessness will abound. Um, he says, when you see all these things happen, look up. Lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Indeed. It's almost as if he's saying, "Look, these they, they these are these are indicators. These are things to be aware of, but they're not to they're not to take your focus off off me." Yeah, you yeah, know, because yeah. I suppose if somebody is you know is is getting into it to the point, Pastor Gary, where um you know they're studying end time events and they're looking into it and they're checking out all the latest uh, information, I might wonder how much peace they have in their heart. And look, I think what you I think the point that you make there is a very powerful point and one that's well worth picking up on. Because you know, to me, I mean, do I uh, present uh, prophecy seminars? Do I look at the end times? I most certainly do. Yeah. That's the what we thing, do. The thing that worries me, however, is when a people come to me and they say, "Oh, pastor, you know, you're studying the end times. Here is the the latest uh, uh, YouTube clip. You ought to see what this is and it's something so out there, so sensational." that uh, you sort of look at it and say, hey, yeah, but where is the word of God in this? You know, yeah. I, I, I actually say you. to people, look, you know, please spend far more time in the word of God yeah. than you spend on uh, YouTube clips. YouTube clips can be incredibly dangerous yeah. uh, when they are... Uh, uh, when 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 they are outside of the boundaries that scripture legitimately puts in place yeah and the other question is it's interesting like that whole that whole scenario that you described where he here's the preacher and he preaches on end time events and makes the appeal and 60 plus people show up at the next prayer meeting but when the series finishes 
the prayer meeting drops back down. I mean, it did in, it did double in size. It was four, and now it's now about eight or nine or something. So that's good. But I think, you know, I think um, I wonder, you know, sometimes we've got to look at our own hearts. I think mm. we've got to mm. say, hey, you know. In my time with the Lord, as I'm studying His Word, as I'm hearing these messages of profound truth, is it actually changing me? Mm-hmm. Is it actually leading me to deep, heartfelt repentance of of issues in my life, or is it just is it just me collecting more information, mm-hmm. and is it just me learning something new and interesting? Mm-hmm. Because it's really that's the key. That is the key. It all should lead to me having a closer relationship with Christ. It should lead me to um, searching my heart more diligently. There's many Christians you know, who know a lot of doctrine, they know a lot of theology, they even know a lot about end-time events, but they don't seem to have a relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. There's that, that peace is lacking. There's still areas in their life that they know that shouldn't be there, but for whatever reason, it's still there. Indeed. And I think that... Um, Anything that's like, yeah, of a sensational character that doesn't lead to heartfelt repentance is pretty much just, it's, it does, it, that's not the purpose. Yeah. You know, when, Jesus, when the gospel yeah. is sensationalized, it can become incredibly dangerous because when I sensationalize, I can very easily start to become incredibly judgmental. And you know, the uh, the Word of God uh, is intended, yeah. when the Holy Spirit is there, what does He bring? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Now, this is the sort, these are the sort of attributes that the Holy Spirit functioning in the life ought to be bringing. Mm. You know, Pastor Gary, this is, this is great. And, uh, this, today we're actually continuing the series on, um, prophecy for dummies, actually. Bible prophecy made simple. You know, that's what we're looking at today. We're going to be looking at a remarkable prophecy in the book of Daniel. Before we come to that, I hope our listeners, I hope you're going to enjoy this fantastic song. It's called It's Time to Get Ready. is so well
With uh, Faith FM Drive Time, this is uh, Pastor Marty and, and Pastor Gary. Today we are actually following the theme, A Dummy's Guide to Prophecy. And today we're going to be looking at, does prophecy um, reliably un, un, re, reveal the future, unfold the future? And uh, today we actually do have a giveaway as well. It's called Decoding Decoding Bible Prophecy by Ron Cluzet. And uh, let me just share a little bit of a description of this uh, this resource. This is an age of uncertainty. Major natural disasters in country after country, an uncertain global economy, and political upheaval everywhere tells thinking persons that something major is on the horizon. Futurists and prophets of every stripe fail us at every turn. But God has provided help in our hour of need. This book... Decoding Bible Prophecy is about understanding what those Bible prophets said, especially the apocalyptic prophets such as Daniel and John the Revelator. This book, Decoding Bible Prophecy, is about knowing how to read those prophecies and make sense of some difficult passages in the Bible. You will learn principles of interpretation, the meaning of a number of apocalyptic symbols, and important hints regarding major time prophecies. Now, if you'd like to get a free copy of this book, all you've got to do is send us a text, and uh, our studio number here is 4 One more time, that number, 4 And if you send us the code SA126, just five digits, SA126, one two six. You will get a free copy of Decoding Bible Prophecy by Dr. Ron Cluzet. Now, um, 
that uh, when you send that number or send that code SA126 to our studio number 04888808811, you'll get a response from our Faith FM bot who will set up um, and make arrangements for, for this book to be delivered to you as soon as possible. So, Pastor Gary, we're, uh, we're back. We're looking at can prophecy reliably unfold the future to us? And I notice you've got your Bible open there to the book of Daniel. So I'm very interested where we're going to go today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, uh, thanks so much, uh, Marty. Really do appreciate that. Uh, look, Marty, to me, uh, today is one of the most exciting studies there is in the entire scriptures. Uh, I, uh, this week, we're actually going to be giving a, a basic understanding of, uh, of biblical prophecy. What we're wanting to do is to present this in small bites. You know, some, so often we turn around and when we uh, present biblical prophecy, we do it in big chunks. Uh, this week we're not going to do that. We're just going to try to take it in small chunks. The question I really want to answer is, why do I trust uh, the Word of God? Why do I trust biblical prophecy to the extent that I do? Uh, do you know, in the day and age in which I'm living today, I'm just so conscious that even many Christian people are embarrassed. In fact, last week you might uh, you might remember that uh, I, I did actually quote from a, a book by um, by John Lennox. Now, for those of you who may not know John Lennox, John Lennox uh, writes a great deal about various uh, Christian uh, on various Christian uh, 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 subjects. He's actually known as an apologist. Now, an apologist is a person who defends the Christian faith. He's been involved in debate. With some of the some of the most significant um, anti-Christian speakers that they uh, that there are now, uh, what a lot of people don't don't realise that he did actually write a book a little a little while ago. It's it's five or six years old now. By uh, it, it's by John Lennox, but it's entitled Against the Flow. Inspiration of Daniel uh, in an age of relativism, and what he digs into is the the prophecies and each of the chapters in the book of Daniel. Now, I don't agree with every conclusion that he's come to, but in Daniel chapter two, he makes some uh, some un- he presents some understandings that I'd like to share today. In fact, what I'm going to do is uh, take our our Bible study today directly from John Lennox. You know, one of the things I sometimes I'm really conscious of is that, of course, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Uh, you're a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. And, and yeah. sometimes, you know, I preach, I've shared on this subject at uh, prophecy seminars, that type of thing. And people will come to me and say, oh, that's what the Seventh-day Adventist church actually, actually teaches. Uh, now, of course, what they're not actually realizing is that the Seventh-day Adventist church on a lot of these subjects have actually been the greatest plagiarists uh, you can possibly imagine because, of course, the Seventh-day Adventist church has picked up uh, most of these beliefs uh, from actually the Protestant Reformation. Uh, but we won't go into that <laughs> at this particular <laughs> point in point in time um, because, you know, I mean, hey, you know, yeah, okay, that... We're not, I'm not really plagiarist. We're picking up historical uh, reality. Uh, but do you know, uh, sometimes people say, look, in, you know, can people today, you know, intelligent people today, do they really uh, accept the scriptures as 
your church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, believes. Now, what I want to do today is just dig into John John Lennox in his commentary on the book of Daniel. It's entitled Against the, Against the Flow, and just find out what he's got to say. Of course, he's not a Seventh-day Adventist at all. He's actually the professor of mathematics at, uh, at Oxford uh, University. So he's a super intelligent man. Uh, he's a, he's a, he has a wonderful understanding of the Christian faith and what he shares here is what he has brought out of his own study. Now, just let me just share some of the, uh, last week you might re- recall that I, I shared these, um, he gave some introduction. This is what he said uh, in introducing this particular subject. Um, the fulfillment of supernatural prophecy lies at the heart of what Christianity is. To claim to be a Christian and not take it seriously is a contradiction in terms. Yet in my experience, many professing Christians seem somewhat embarrassed by this dimension of their faith. You know, Marty, we, I read this last week, but I'm finding that that is absolutely so true. Uh, in, increasingly, I'm noticing within the Christian world, uh, people are embarrassed about the supernatural dimension of their prophecy, uh, of prophecy and the impact that it has on on their faith. You see, increasingly our world deals with this thing called naturalism. And of course, naturalism is the, the belief that everything just continues naturally, that there is no uh, super, supernaturally, uh, no supernatural. He keeps on by saying this, Christianity is thoroughly embedded in history and in prophecy. Many of its central events, including the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, were the subject of predictions made centuries earlier. I'm only too well aware that the contemporary culture in the West is so dominated by the naturalistic worldview that anyone who claims that there is a supernatural dimension to reality is looked at and mocked. Do you know, to me, I believe this is, this is so sad. Because what it's doing is it's establishing a worldview. It's saying that what I see is all there is of reality. But you know, Marty, as I read the Word of God, what I'm so conscious of is that the Word of God says, no, there's far more to reality than what you can actually see. Absolutely. This is yeah. th- this is actually so so And prophecy is one of the most remarkable ways to actually I suppose give evidence to this idea, you know. Exactly. And, and and what I love about the fact that, you know, um Dr. John Lennox is a is a university professor, you know, of of um of mathematics is is you don't have to commit intellectual suicide to become a Bible believing Christian. In fact, Faith should always be based on solid evidence, not just, you know, the shallow shifting sands of human opinion. If faith is not based on evidence, the faith itself is not very substantive. Yeah. Faith has to be based on evidence. And, you know, that's the thing I really appreciate about this. But, look, mm-hmm. let me come to today's uh, story because we're looking at Daniel chapter 2. Now, Daniel chapter 2 is a remarkable book because what we get here, um, a remarkable chapter rather, because what we actually get here is uh, we get a king. He dreams a dream. Now, of course, the, in the dream, he dreams of a great big image. And the image itself is divided into various parts. You've got a head of gold. Uh, let me test you on this. You've got uh, some breast, breast and arms of what? 
chest and arms of silver. Silver. And then you've got thighs of... Bronze. Bronze. And then you've got legs of... Iron. Iron. And then you've got the feet of... Iron and clay. Ah, you know it. That's very good. Uh, you pass a test. We'll allow you to come continue in your oh, uh, uh, yeah. in your role. That's good. Look, this this particular... <laughs> uh, this, this image frightens him. You know, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Marty, but every now and then you might have a dream that you sort of... Where did that actually come mm. from? Mm. In in his day, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he he's struggling with it. But what is worse, he, he he wakes, but he can't remember the major features of it. He knows that he's had a troubling dream. He doesn't like what it is that he has seen, but now the significant features of it, he simply can't remember it. Now, of course, if I'm a despot king, how do I respond to that? Well, I respond to the professionals. Now, of course, this is where we mm. rely on our professionals. And we've just, you know, rely on our professionals during COVID, you know. I mean, uh, you know, and, and that's exactly what uh, King Nebuchadnezzar do. We call in the professionals and he simply says to the professionals, hey, look, what I want you to do, these are the science majors. And uh, he says to them, what I want you to do is to not just interpret this dream, but I want you to tell me uh, what the dream was. Now, to interpret a dream, that's one thing, because I can make up any interpretation once I've got some essential facts. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if I'm also told that I have to be able to, uh, I have to be able to tell the dream initially, well, that's a totally different pit, uh, kettle of fish. He, he's a despot king. He, he, he gives them encouragement. How does he give them encouragement? Well, he gives them encouragement by saying that, uh, hey, look, you know, your life actually depends on it because if you can't tell me what the dream is, you can't tell me uh, what the interpretation is, then your head is going to swing uh, by the proverbial gallows out there uh, before the a morning star uh, rises uh, in the eastern sky. Now, of course, he's a despot king. He's able to do that. Yeah. Uh, Daniel in those days is a is a young man. He's only just finished his uh, uh, his accreditation. He hasn't been called in with all these senior fellows, uh, but nonetheless, he is regarded as one of the wise men. Ariok, the king's the king's guard, goes to commence the killing because nobody can tell him the dream or the interpretation. Comes to Daniel. And Daniel says, hey, give me a little bit of time. Give me a little bit of time. Do you know, I love what Daniel does. He actually comes to the point of prayer. Yeah. He calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they have a prayer meeting together. Mm. He prays to the supernatural God, and he says, hey, you are able to give me the dream and the interpretation. Mm. He packs up. They have their prayer meeting. Then he goes to bed and sleeps soundly. Don't you wish you could do that? Absolutely. That's yeah. trust, isn't it? That's this is, faith. This is tr- but, you know, it's in the sleeping soundly that God is able to respond to him. He is given the dream itself. The dream is uh, exactly as it was given to King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel then goes to Arioch, the captain of the garden, says, take me, take me into uh, the king and let me explain it to him. Now, mm-hmm. it's at that point, um, the, uh, um, I, I want to come back to John Lennox. Now, that's the story behind uh, Daniel, Daniel chapter two, but let me just share with you what, uh, uh, what John, uh, uh, John Lennox says. Now, according to the why, to the worldviews of Babylon's wise men, and the thinkers of today, 
There is no God that can reveal the future course of history. By definition, therefore, Daniel could have no special knowledge. He could not know the contents of the dream. He, all he could possibly do was guess. You know, I'm just so conscious that we're living in a world now where even in the religious world, the most common belief is that the supernatural cannot be known. And yet the thing I appreciate about the word of God is that it talks about the word of God in being quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's profitable for reproof and doctrine and correction in righteousness. It's a, it provides a light for the future. Yeah. That's the teaching about itself. Mm. I love, I love that. Um, and uh, but Daniel was not guessing. This is I'm reading John Lennox now. He was not calculating probabilities. He knew what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed, and within a few second seconds of Daniel speaking, Nebuchadnezzar knew that Daniel also knew. Yeah. He suddenly a ch- look, I, and I'm sharing this from uh, John Lennox. This is and this isn't me. This isn't my church that's pre- presenting this. Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm reading again. Nebuchadnezzar had. Had dreamed about a terrifying statue that was of immense, of a colossal man, uh, of almost unendurable brightness. It was a strange statue for Nebuchadnezzar's eye transversed it from head to foot. He could uh, make out uh, the, the complete form, made from a sequence of different substances. Its head was of gold, its chest of arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron. That was bizarre enough, but the feet of the image were the strangest of all they seemed to be out of keeping with the rest and made of an odd mixture of iron and clay or iron and ceramic here we've got the image being being described now what's so significant about that well it's so significant because King Nebuchadnezzar has forgotten the major elements of his dream but the very moment that Daniel starts to uh, reveal of this dream, it starts to come back to him. He is now sitting on the absolute edge of his seat. He can't wait uh, to be able to uh, to hear uh, some more. Uh, how could he possibly, and this is John Lennox again, how could he possibly know his contents, let alone the meaning? What else does this young man know? Nebuchadnezzar was now far out of his depth. He waited and with bated breath for the interpretation that he knew uh, was going to going to come. Uh, the first words of the interpretation, you, O king, must have hit him like a hammer. Uh, the message was indeed for him. His worst fears were true after all, or were they? For Daniel was still speaking. You, O king. The king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given a kingdom, power and might and glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherefore they dwell, they, they dwell, the king, the children of men, the beasts of the field, the birds of heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of, head of gold. This is a, this is an amazing story. You are that, the head of gold. But you know, as as we go on, uh, we find that even more 
is revealed. Mm. And again, let me emphasize, these are not my words. These are not the words of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. These are the words that come from John Lennox's commentary on the book of Daniel. And he continues, the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold and not the whole image told him that his ruler was neither absolute or permanent. He would have successes. What then did the rest of the image mean? His descendants? He didn't have to wait long for the answer. Daniel continued by explaining. So the succession of metals did not represent a dynasty founded by Nebuchadnezzar. It represented a series of world empires stretching far into the future. And then John Lennox comes to interpret this this particular you know, this is from his own study this is not from this isn't from hey from my books of, of theology um, this is what he says what then were the empires represented in the image historically we know that the that the empire of babylon gave way successively to the empires of medo persia Greece and Rome. Daniel himself experienced the first transition from Babylon to Medo-Persia. He describes it in chapters 5 and 6. Some scholars even go to deny predictive prophecy. This is so important here. You know, uh, Marty, one of the things I'm just so conscious of is that if I go into the academic world today, uh, some, some academics will turn around and they'll say, ah, but, you know, all this proves is that Daniel could not have written the book in the 6th century BC. He must have written it in the second century BC for him to know this sort of knowledge. It's so remarkable. Nobody can know the future. Therefore, uh, this must have been written by a pseudo-Daniel. You know, the problem with that is that if you go and read the historian Josephus, what you find is that the historian Josephus picks up this prophecy uh, in the uh, in about the third century and shows it uh, to Alexander the Great when he was through moving through the through the Middle East. And, you know, it existed then. This is not a second century prophet. This is a sixth century prophet. And it, Josephus, the historian, actually shows that uh, to be the uh, to be the be the case. But look, I'm getting all excited here, so I've got to cool down for a moment. So why don't we go to a break for for a moment? Let's do. <laughs> that and um uh, you know and then we'll be straight back and looking at this remarkable prophecy in Daniel 2 when peace like a
You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Marty and Gary. And this week we're actually following the theme, A Dummy's Guide to Prophecy, Bible Prophecy Made Simple. And we are just, we are really in the midst of a powerful Bible study in Daniel chapter 2. And so, Pastor Gary, let's get straight back into it, shall we? Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, thanks for that, uh, that Marty. Uh, look, Daniel chapter 2, as Lennox correctly points out, and many other historically, uh, historical commentators have shown that this particular, uh, this particular chapter reveals four kingdoms in history. And you've got you, O king, the king of Babylon is the head of gold. Medo-Persia, the second kingdom, the kingdom that followed, uh, followed uh, Babylon. Uh, you've got uh, Alexander the Great's kingdom, uh, followed the Medo-Persians. And of course, after the, uh, the Grecian Empire broke up, you find the Roman Empire came. Uh, you know, one of the most beautiful things I love about the Word of God, and we're going to come to this next week actually, when you come to Daniel chapter 7, you come to a very beautiful uh, passage of, uh, of Scripture, you get another prophecy, but in this prophecy it talks about a male goat, and it says... Daniel 8. Uh, Daniel 8, and yeah. it's actually verse 21, it actually says this, the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. He starts to name kingdoms. The yeah. large horn that is between its eyes is the first king, the first king of Greece, which of course Alexander the Great. It's still 250 years in the future when he's saying this. Uh, and as uh, for the uh, and the large horn that's between its eyes is the first king, uh, and then it uh, speaks of the um, speaks of the kings of Media, Media Persia, then the kingdom of Greece. These kingdoms are actually named. Uh, do you know Marty, the thing that blows me away about the way prophecy uh, name names these kingdoms is what was reality when they were named, and what was reality in the future. 
You know, mm. when when you actually find uh, the kingdom of Greece being named in the 6th century BC, it Greece hadn't yet been united. It was still a series of city-states uh, under Alexander the Great's, um, well, under his father. It was his father that ultimately uh, united the city-states of, uh, of Greece. And then Alexander came along and he becomes the first major, he becomes a major world, world conqueror. But, you know, to me, at the time when the book of Daniel is being written, Greece is no more than a, a series of city-states. It's like saying today mm-hmm. that New Zealand's going to rule the world. Yeah. It's a yeah. foolish thing to say. You yeah. know, it's not going to happen. It's, and yet here we've got the Word of God being uh, very Amazing. clear. I, I love the way, if we come back to Daniel 2, though, uh, you actually come to the fourth kingdom because this actually brings us down to, down to our age. And uh, this is uh, Daniel chapter 2, and it's verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. It's like iron that crushes uh, that kingdom. That kingdom will break in pieces, will crush all others. And of course, the, the fourth kingdom, the kingdom that replaced Greece, was the kingdom of Rome. Of Rome the the kingdom, iron monarchy of Rome. The iron monarchy of Rome. And then, do you know, to me, if I was giving a prophecy and I said there was going to be a kingdom followed by a kingdom, followed by a kingdom, followed by a kingdom, four times. Just keep going, right? Just keep going. Another kingdom's going to replace that kingdom. Yeah, yeah. But that's not where the prophet goes on this occasion. He goes somewhere totally different. And look, tell us what the, what you see as the significance in this. Whereas you saw the feet of, uh, feet of toes, Partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, uh, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. What's he, what's he digging into there? What's he saying? Well, it's remarkable because, yeah, he, he breaks the sequence of just going from one kingdom to the next. And he actually says that the fourth kingdom is not going to be conquered, but rather it's going to be divided. And of course, we look in our history books and that is exactly what happened. The, the Roman Empire, particularly the Western Roman Empire, was carved up by barbaric tribes into roughly 10 different, uh, different groups. And, um, you know, many of those groups actually became what is modern Europe today. Mm. You know, the, the Franks became the French, the, the Anglo-Saxons became the, the, the English, um, and so on. The Lombards became the Italians, etc. Yeah. And so that Western Western Roman Empire, which was all, it all used to be the Roman Empire. You know, it was huge. The Roman Empire was massive. Yeah. And yet Daniel says it's this incredibly powerful empire is actually not going to be conquered. It's going to become divided. And that's yeah, what happened. Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, to me, I can give, this gives me certainty about biblical prophecy because when it can go so far into the future, verse uh, 42, and as the toes of feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom will be partially strong and partially fragile. And as you saw them mixed with uh, ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men. Uh, They will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. What's going on there? Well, it's interesting that it says they will mingle with the seed of men and that, you know, they saw Daniel sees the iron and the ceramic clay uh, being mixed. And it's uh, interesting that history shows us that there was attempts to unite the Roman Empire once it was divided. We can go through history, Charlemagne, Charles V, 
Um, and then Napoleon, of course, he wanted, you know, one Europe, um, you know, one currency, you know, one nation, essentially. He wanted to unite Europe. And it's it's fascinating that he was defeated in the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. And though professing to be an atheist, he he, he basically said that God Almighty was against him. Yeah. Because yeah. it seemed so impossible that he should lose that battle, and yet he did. And Europe remained divided. It's even interesting of more, more recent history. Um, at the time of Adolf Hitler and, and World War II, of course, uh, Hitler wanted, uh, you know, one nation, one ruler, all of that kind of thing. He, he, he predicted a thousand year, uh, empire. Right. Yes. Right. And, um, and of course, there was actually German soldiers in his, in his uh, army that said what he's trying to do is impossible. And they actually were referring to this prophecy. Yeah. They knew that the prophecy said that Europe will never be united again, though yeah. there would be attempts to unite it. Those attempts would fail. Yeah, and yeah. that's exactly what's happened throughout yeah. history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, look, I, I know that during that same time period, there were certainly evangelists that uh, actually pulled out this prophecy and uh, revealed, you know, what this prophecy was saying. It was a, it, it was an amazing um, support uh, to to so many people at at that particular time. But you know, I love the way this passage actually climaxes. You know, it was correct. Mm. You know, there'll be a kingdom, a kingdom, a kingdom, a kingdom, a kingdom divided. But then, what's going to happen next? Well, next, uh, you get in verse 44 of uh, Daniel chapter 2. And the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom will not be left to other people. It will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, uh, the great God has made note of the king uh, what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. Mm. What's going on there? It's very powerful. It's, you know, Daniel is, is showing that the, the final part of the, of the dream, which was this rock cut without human hands and it strikes the image, not on the head, not on the chest, but on the feet. Yeah. Because the image represents like a timeline from the time of Daniel and Babylon right through to the time when God's kingdom would come. Right through. And we happen to be living in the toenails of this image. We're living at the time just before that rock comes, just before the kingdoms of this world that that are based on greed and selfishness and, and pride and violence, just before the time when these kingdoms are actually going to be destroyed, they're going to be wiped out, and God's kingdom a kingdom of peace and of righteousness and of truth and a kingdom where the Bible describes that God is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll yeah. be no more yeah. death or sorrow. This kingdom is coming soon. You know, I, I appreciate what you're saying there, and I know we've got to finish just in the next minute or two. Let me just read to you how John Lennox climaxes his this particular chapter in dealing with uh, this image. Uh, the new atheists, he says, are loud in their demand for evidence that a supernatural God exists. 
yet the genuineness of their demand is questionable, since they seem reluctant to pay serious attention to evidence that is offered to them. What Daniel has written is part of that evidence, but it offers such a direct threat to the naturalistic worldview that it's scarcely likely even to be taken into consideration. This section of Daniel has punctured the view that this world is all there is. Daniel and now King Nebuchadnezzar claim that there is a God that reveals secrets, a secret which can be revealed, can be checked from the vantage point of history. That is, how do we have more, now we have more evidence than Nebuchadnezzar did uh, that Daniel was right. Daniel predicted that there would be a succession of four empires, three of which are explicitly named in the book. There has been a succession of four empires, all bearing the characteristics that Daniel ascribed to them. Oddly enough, the very fact that atheistic thinkers try so hard to try to discredit Daniel is actually evidence that there is a divine foot that must not, they do not want to allow into the door. You see, we serve a supernatural we God. We absolutely do, Pastor Gary. I, and friends, I just want to once again let you know that there is a free book. It's called Decoding Bible Prophecy. If you want to get that book and have a deeper understanding of Bible prophecy, send us the code SA126. The code SA126. One two six. Send it to our studio number. We'd love to get you this book, Decoding Bible Prophecy. Our studio number is o four triple eight eight o eight eleven. The book is totally free. It will give you remarkable insights into the prophecies of the Bible. It's been a fantastic time together. Pray that uh, you enjoy the rest of rest of your day and uh, join us again tomorrow as we continue on this series of Bible prophecy. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.